Hey, everybody. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Hey, I'm a dad. This is my day, right? Yeah, I'm a dad. I love being a dad. Check out, here's a picture of my kids. This is Asher, Amen, and Favor. I love being their dad. It's so much fun. This is my day. You know, uh, here's what I'm envisioning. Steak dinner. <laughs> royal treatment. Somebody else getting up early to make the coffee. You know, that's what I'm talking about. And you know, this stage of life that I'm in, it's all about handmade cards and extra snuggles. And man, I'm eating up every minute of it. I love it. This is my day. So happy Father's Day to me, right? And uh, yeah. Hey, you know, when you become a dad, you develop all sorts of new skills. You have new experiences. But most importantly, you develop a new sense of humor, right? Yeah? You've heard of dad jokes. Yeah? Okay. Oh, groans already. I see how it is. Yeah, okay. Here's a definition of a dad joke. A pun, a one-liner, or a question and answer, generally inoffensive, either with sincere humorous intent or to intentionally provoke a negative reaction through an unfunny punchline. Yeah, hey, here's a couple of my favorite dad jokes. Did you hear about the groundbreaking invention? The shovel? Yeah. Yeah, what about this one? I wanted to be an astronaut when I grew up, but my dad told me the sky was the limit. <laughs> okay, and here is the classic dad joke. It doesn't get any better than this, and dads, we're all going to say the punchline to this one out loud together, okay? So with all the dad-tasticness you can muster, we're going to shout out the punchline. A kid says, Dad, I'm hungry, and what do we say? Hi, hungry, I'm dad. Right? Yeah. Okay. Hey, one more dad joke. Yeah. What do you call it when Batman skips church? A Christian bail. Yeah. Happy Father's Day. Hey, so today we're continuing in this series called Thread, and in this series we're going to take a look at a story about a hero, and this hero has taken up residence in a secret hideout in a cave. The public adores him because he's a defender of the people. He fights for justice, and when the scary evil villain comes to taunt and threaten, when most run away scared, and even those who are set apart to keep the peace and defend are scared, one man stands between that adversary and the public. People have written songs celebrating this champion, and the government officials, well, they don't, can't decide if they love him or if they hate him because, I mean, what he's doing is good, but the way that he deals with these offenders, it, it undermines their authority. He does have one friend on the inside, his best friend, who's always by his side, and then there's the old man who's been there his whole life, reminding him who he is telling him who he is, speaking truth into his life. His love interest is complicated because she has deep ties and connections to the authorities. Who are we talking about? No, we're not talking about Batman. This is church. This is church. What would make you think we're talking about Batman? We're, we're talking about David in the Bible, right? We're at church, okay? Yeah. Okay. 
Hey, last week we started talking about David and this thread that was running through his life. We talked about his anointing, how he was set apart by God to one day be the leader of Israel. And then as a young man, he faced the villain Goliath. And even though he felt underprepared, he felt inadequate, God was weaving a thread through his life, preparing him to lead God's people. And David had that thing that matters. That thing that was below the waterline that not everyone can see. He had character. He had a heart for God. Well, this week as we follow David's story, the life of David, we move ahead several years and we trace that thread to a point in his life where he's a young adult. He's in the prime of his physical strength. He's become a military leader in the kingdom. But he's not the king. Not yet. Now, last week we heard about his anointing by the prophet Samuel. When the Spirit of God came powerfully on David and God set him apart to be king. But there's one catch there's a dilemma in the story. Israel already had a king, and that king wasn't David's father. If that happened in normal circumstances, any way else, if this military leader was set apart to be king, you know what would happen? There would be a revolution, right? The government would be overthrown. David, if he wanted to, could have easily led a military coup. But the story today takes us to a cave. It's a cave in a region called En Gedi. And that means the spring of the young goat. So it's not the bat cave for us today. It's the goat cave. And these caves are big. They're full of pools and waterfalls, caverns. These are big caves. And David's hiding in there with about 600 of his men. And King Saul, he's on the prowl in the area. He's heard that David is hiding somewhere around here. And he wants nothing more than to kill David. So while David's hiding in the cave, King Saul enters that very cave, not knowing that David and his men were further back in the darkness. But Saul enters looking for a place for relief. Nature was calling. Can you believe it? The very same cave that David is in. And David's men begin to whisper, David, it's time. David, you can do it. David, Saul's right there. Go kill him. Be the military leader that we need. David, come on. You're the man. And you know, it's hard to think clearly when people are whispering in your ear about how great you are. And so David grabs his knife. And in the darkness of the cave, he starts to crawl towards the vulnerable king. And from the shadows, his men are watching intently, knowing that they're witnessing history and they're thinking, this is it. This is the day I'm going to tell my grandkids about. I was there. And David has a choice to make. What kind of person is he going to be? Scripture calls David a man after God's own heart. And yes, he walked closely with God, but he was a person. 
He was a normal human being. He had very real problems. He encountered very real temptation. And guess what? He didn't always make the right choices. Just like you and I, we don't always make the right choices. And in that cave with the knife drawn in the darkness, David had to decide what thread he was going to follow. And we're all going to have to make that decision. We're all going to have to choose. Every day of our lives, we have to make that decision. What kind of person am I going to be? So how did we get here? How did we get here to this point in the cave where Saul, the king, would want to kill one of the most prominent figures in the kingdom and where David, the mighty military leader, is hiding in the shadows of a cave, a man on the run? How did we get here? So today we'll look at the lives of and the relationship between Saul and David. And we'll see two threads begin to emerge. One thread that leads toward God, and one that doesn't. And we're going to all try to be honest with ourselves today. Which one of those threads is running through your life? So let's scrub the timeline back long before this story, many years before the cave, probably even before David was born. That same prophet that anointed David, he anointed Samuel to be the king, to be the leader of God's people. Israel had been saying for a long time, give us a king, God. We want a king like all the other countries. And so God heard them and he spoke through the prophet Samuel to install Saul as the king. Now Saul must have been an impressive figure in the story. It says that he was a head taller than all the rest. And Samuel tells all the people, he says, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. He was an impressive guy. And, and pretty soon Saul had some, some victories. He had some success. He won some battles. He led the people, but very quickly... We start to see things in the life and the character of Saul that indicate a willingness to just let things slide. We see him become disobedient to the Lord. He becomes unconcerned with following God's instructions, more concerned with following his own impulses and desires, more concerned with his own glory than God's glory. And this comes to a head when Saul offers a sacrifice that Samuel was supposed to offer the prophet. Saul thought he knew better. He took matters into his own hands. And because Saul had turned from God and began seeking his own interest, God rejected Saul as king. Now, he didn't remove Saul from his position, but he did remove his blessing. And he said that blessing, it's going to go to someone else. The royal line wouldn't continue in Saul's family. This is what scripture tells us, what God said about Saul at this point in the story. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and he's not carried out my instructions. And then God speaks through Samuel the prophet and says this, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. 
As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one who is better than you. Saul replied, I have sinned. But please honor me before my people, before the elders of my people, and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. His insecurity begins to emerge. His craving for power and position leaves him desperate. He'll do anything to hold on to what is slipping out of his grip. And now when people are in that kind of position, they begin to make decisions that don't make sense. They make decisions that hurt people that serve a single purpose and cause collateral damage all along the way. And as the prophet Samuel turns to leave, Saul is trying to grab at anything he can, even to the point where he reaches out with his hand, and in the most desperate act, he grabs a hold of Samuel's coat, and it rips, and he's left holding a broken piece of fabric in his hands, and the rest of Saul's reign is him just grasping at power, but only ever holding on to a small broken piece of what was and what could have been. Does that sound like your life? Saul became a lame duck king because insecurity, insecurity became a thread in his life. He let insecurity begin to take over. He let a feeling of inadequacy turn into worry, and that becomes persistent insecurity. One article I read this week said that 95% of people in our culture struggle with insecurity of some type. And I wonder about the other 5% of people. You know? I mean, I'm sure they've got struggles too. It sounds like to me they struggle with honesty. I mean... We've all got places in our lives where we feel insecure. We all have places where we feel like we just don't measure up, where we feel like we aren't good enough. But here's some truth for you. That's just a feeling, and you don't have to let that feeling control you. You don't have to let that thread control you. I mean, even people who are successful and accomplish great things sometimes feel insecure. One of my favorite authors is John Steinbeck. And by 1938, he had written several books that were failures. And then he wrote this one book that had moderate success called Of Mice and Men. It's a classic today, but initially it wasn't flying off the shelves. And then at this point, he was writing drafts for a book that would go on to win the Pulitzer Prize, The Grapes of Wrath. And you know what he wrote in his journal while he was writing that? He wrote, I am not a writer. I have been fooling people and myself. But somehow he didn't let that thread of insecurity control him. Somehow he was able to let go of that thread. Well, Saul's reign continued as king, but it was never easy for him. The Philistines became an enemy that he just couldn't beat. He would actually fight the Philistines the rest of his days. And this is where David enters the picture. And when David was anointed to be king, do you know what happened next? He went back to work, back to work on the family farm, tending the sheep. You know, he was protecting the sheep from lions and bears. And you know we have to do this, right? Lions and tigers and bears. Okay, yeah, thanks. 
Hey, Scripture tells us that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit tormented him. He tells his servant, hey, find someone who plays the harp. Maybe that'll help. So guess who just happens to play the harp? David. David was a skilled musician, and maybe that's why I like this guy so much. Now, he enters Saul's service as the court musician, and when Saul is tormented, the only thing that could soothe him was David's music. And it says that Saul liked him. He liked having him around as a servant. Even though David knows that one day he would be king, he takes this humble role as a servant. And he plays music for the king when he's called upon, and he waits. David is patient. He trusts God's timing. And the thread that we start to see in David's life is this, patience. Patience is the thread that develops in David's life. We all need that in our lives. I'm pretty sure we can all think of places right now where we could use a little more patience. You know, I talked about being, the, being a dad a little bit ago. And if there's anywhere in my life that I need more patience, it's being a dad sometimes. Actually, a lot of the times. And I pray for it all the time. But the patience we're talking about today and the patience that we need, it's more than just being irritated because you don't make it through a stoplight. Or someone in front of you in the 10 items or less line at the grocery store has more than 10 items. Are you feeling guilty right now? Anybody? Hey, I'll admit it today in front of everyone. I have taken 11 items through the 10 items or less line at the grocery store. But don't judge me so hard because I know you probably have too, right? And then we've all had that time where... We've stood behind the person that walks up there with a whole cart full, right? Yeah, we all need some patience. We need patience. But you know, it's one thing to be patient in line at the grocery store. But it's another to be patient and wait for God's timing. To wait on a spouse. To wait for a job. Or maybe it's when the money doesn't seem to add up. You can't accomplish those goals that you set. Or the test results. The test results don't come in until next week. The patience that David had is an expression of trusting. It's saying this to God, I don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow, or the next day, but God, I trust that you are going to be here with me in it. And I don't want to get out ahead of where God is, and it's being able to say this, if it was better for me to have it right now, then God would have given it to me already. David wrote a whole bunch of songs Some of those are collected in the book of Psalms in the Bible. Psalm 37 is one he wrote later in life. And in that one he says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. I bet David was thinking about Saul and all those years in his service when he wrote those words. 
Wait patiently for the Lord and do not be afraid. While David's in Saul's service as a musician, he was going back and forth from the farm to the court. He was at the same time taking care of the sheep and the king. He was working two jobs. And maybe you know what that's like. But it was during that time that the whole incident with the giant happened. And it turns out that David's not only a skilled musician, he's a skilled slinger. And so Saul says, man, this guy's good. I need to keep him around. I need to keep this guy close. And so he says, no more going back to the family farm for you. You're staying right here with me. And so he gives him a high rank in the army. And he sends him out to take care of business to deal with the enemies. And David does just that. He was so successful on the battlefield that people started to write songs about him. And one of the songs sounded like this. You guys ready for a little group participation? Ready? Let's do this. Yeah. Here we go. Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. Yeah, that's exactly how the song sounded. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Now, listen to what Scripture shows us about what begins to happen. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? You know, when Saul heard that song, this is what he heard. Saul has killed his thousands, David is tens of thousands, and it mocked him. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul as he was prophesying in his house. And while David was playing the lyre as he usually did, Saul held a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. I don't think I would have let that happen twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away with him and he gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. We begin to see where the thread in each man's life leads. For Saul, that thread that started out as insecurity deepens and it turns into jealousy. David began to represent all the things that Saul knows he has lost because of his disobedience. David is beating the Philistine enemy that Saul could never beat. Jealousy becomes the driving force in Saul's life. Jealousy takes over. Jealousy drives Saul to violence, throwing a spear at David, even while David was faithfully serving him. Now think about this. Saul is the king and David is leading the king's army and he's racking up victory after victory. So you would think that Saul would be proud of him, right? You would think that Saul would want to pin a medal on his shirt for service. I mean, what David is doing, it's good for the kingdom, so it's good for the king. But Saul just couldn't handle it. Saul's jealousy takes over. 
He no longer sees a young man there to comfort him with his music. And he no longer sees the guy who killed the giant when no one else could. You know what he sees? He sees a threat. The lens over his eyes puts a target on David's chest. One author puts it this way, jealousy is angry, agitated worry. It's a way that we deal with the fear of rejection. And with each of David's victories, Saul felt a little bit more rejected, not only by his people, but by God. And those words would rattle around in his head that the prophet told him that he was sorry that he had made him king and that the one who would come after him would be better than he was. What do you do when you're jealous? I mean, how do you treat that person at work who you think is going to get the promotion over you? Do you avoid them at all costs? Or maybe you try to find creative ways to control situations or conversations. Maybe it's a very well-placed word to a strategic person that will notch them down just a little bit or maybe even destroy their reputation. Jealousy will drive us to do destructive and hurtful things. And when jealousy mixes with ambition, it turns into envy. Another author gives this advice that when you're feeling those jealous feelings, to pause, to slow down, take a breath. Remind yourself that what you are experiencing is a feeling and you don't have to obey those jealous feelings and thoughts. The book of Proverbs says this, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Don't let jealousy and envy rot your bones. Don't let jealousy put a target on the chest of the people around you. Put the spear down. Now, through this experience with Saul, David remained patient. He trusted God, and he was obedient. Obedience is the thread that we see in David's life. Obedience. Saul tries to get creative in his attempts to kill David. The spear thing didn't work, so he starts to think, okay, how can I kill David? How can I kill David? Let's see. Maybe I'll get somebody else to do it for me. Yeah, that's a good idea. What am I, Jonathan, my son, he's fought for me a lot. Maybe he'll do it. I'll wait. Jonathan's David's best friend now. He's not going to do it. Let's see. Who else could do it? Who else could do it? Oh, and then it comes to him. The Philistines. I'll have my enemies kill my other enemy. It's perfect. This is a perfect plan. So he thinks, how am I going to arrange this? My daughter, my daughter Mareb. I'm going to offer my daughter Mareb to David in marriage. And all he has to do is go fight, fight the Philistines. <laughs> and then he finds out that his younger daughter, Michael, is actually in love with David. And he thinks, perfect. This is perfect. It's the perfect opportunity. And he tells David, you can marry my daughter, Michael, and all you have to do is go kill 100 Philistines. And he thinks, surely 100 Philistines will do the trick, right? 
And so David goes out and he kills 200 of the Philistines. And he gets married to Michael, Saul's daughter. And so the jealousy just grows deeper. And it's during this time that David is practicing patience, serving a man who hates him, who now happens to be his father-in-law, but following and listening for his God. Eugene Peterson wrote in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, a description of obedience. It says this, It's the strength to stand, and the willingness to leap, and the sense to know when to do which, which is exactly what we get when an accurate memory of God's ways is combined with a lively hope in his promises. That's what David's obedience looked like. He he trusted God's ways, and he held on to God's promises. Do you get what that's saying? That when you know God's ways, and you know God's promises, somehow you just know what to do? And you might be saying right now, Kirk, that sounds way too simple. I mean, my life's way more complicated than that. I mean, I've, I've been let down. I've been hurt by people. I've been lied to and mistreated over and over again. And I keep finding myself in situations that seem impossible. And sometimes I make bad decisions and I get, get myself in those places. I'm facing the giant every day. Every day there are spears flying at me. Obedience is trusting God and taking that first small step of faith. You know that scene in Indiana Jones when Indy's standing at the edge of the chasm and he looks across and it seems like the odds are all against, against him? Like, what's he going to do? And he has to take that first step of faith out into the unknown. And when he does, he realizes there's actually a bridge there. It just blends into the surroundings. I'm ruining the movie if you haven't seen it. Sorry about that. But then you know what he has to do? He has to take the next step. And then the next step. Psalm 37 again, David reflecting back on his life says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Commit your way to the Lord and he's going to be with you. And Saul's attempts on David's life continue. Jonathan, Saul's son, tells David, Dude, you got to get out of here because he's just not going to quit. And so David takes 600 of his men, and they go and hide in the valley of the goats. So now we're back to the cave, back where we started our story today. Saul in the darkness all alone, looking for a moment of relief and rest. And I'm sure in that moment he thought he was safe. I'm sure there were guards posted at the mouth of the cave, but he didn't know that that was the same cave where David and his men were hiding. David's there just a few feet from Saul, and he can hear him breathing. It would be so easy, so fast. Both men's threads led them to this point. And from a world's perspective, it seems like their threads lead them to this place. It seems like David's thread led him right now to opportunity. But it didn't. It seems like Saul's thread led him to vulnerability. But that's not where it leads him. In this moment... 
Saul's thread leads him to a point of isolation. Isolation. Both his, da- his daughter and his son have sided themselves with David. Many in his military would follow David into battle, but not him. In fact, most of them were encouraging a revolution. Saul was isolated from the people around him, from the people whom he was anointed to lead. But more than that, he was isolated from God. And because of this, he could see his leadership and his legacy crumbling all around him. He was filled with fear every day of his life. He was afraid of David, afraid of the Philistines, afraid of what people thought of him, afraid of the future. And now David's thread didn't lead to opportunity in the cave. David's thread led to integrity. Integrity. Being who you say that you are, reliably doing the right thing. David's life marked by patience and obedience. It didn't leave him in a place where he had to think hard about what to do in the cave. He knew that Saul's life wasn't his to take. His character that we talked about last week, it remained consistent because that thread was in him. He made that choice a long time ago. He could do the right thing and hold his head up high. And so he crawls in the darkness towards Saul and he cuts the hem of his garment. And then he retreats into the darkness. And there were jaws dropping all over the cave. And David's men thought, you blew it. You blew it. And then they remembered, oh yeah. This is David we're talking about. He follows God's heart, not his own heart. He's going to do the right thing. Integrity doesn't happen overnight. You can't buy it. You can't fake it. There's no easy button for integrity. It's that long obedience, a pattern of faithfulness, a pattern of repentance when there's bumps along the way. Integrity for David started way before this story. It started way back in the field, tending the sheep, long before his anointing, long before anyone knew his name. David knew what kind of person he was going to be. And guess what? Every day, I'm confronted with that same question, and so are you. What thread is in your life? What thread are you holding on to? And at some point, all of us will find ourselves in a cave with a choice to make. What kind of person are you going to be? Are you holding on to a thread that doesn't lead to integrity, that isn't marked by God's ways and God's promises? Guess what? You've got the knife in your hand right now. And you've got a choice to make. You can use that knife to do harm out of a place of insecurity, jealousy, and isolation. Or you can use that knife guided by patience, obedience, and integrity. And you can cut that other thread. Psalm 57. We heard these words earlier today in the service. These are words that David wrote about this very experience of being in the cave with Saul. Listen to these words. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. 
I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet, and I was bowed down in distress, and they dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen in it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awaken the harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among all the nations. I will sing of you among all the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What does David do when he's in the cave? Because of that thread in his life, he lifts his hands to heaven and he says, I don't fear the evil situation that I'm in because God, I know that you are faithful. My eyes are fixed on you, God. My eyes are fixed on you, not on my circumstances. I may be hiding in a cave, but I don't take refuge in a cave. I take refuge in your protection, God. I'm more concerned with salvation than safety. My heart, God, my heart is steadfast. It's dedicated to you and it's focused on your ways and it holds on to your promises. So God, I'm gonna sing songs about your love for me. Songs about your love for me that fills the heavens, that covers the earth. Hey, we've all got to make a decision. We've all got to decide what kind of people we're gonna be. We've all got to decide what thread we're going to hold on to because it becomes part of our lives. Are you going to be the kind of person who in the cave can stand and sing with a clear conscience, with your head held high about the love of God, about how much God loves you? That's the thread I want. That's who I want to be. Hey, today, wherever you're at, whatever campus you're at, let's stand together. Let's stand together and we're going to sing a song about God's love for us. And this is a bold declaration that we sing in the face of our circumstances. Hey, David was a man after God's own heart. You know, when David walked out of that cave, he was holding a piece of fabric and it was a righteous act. But when Jesus walked out of the grave, he had nail scars on his hands. And through that, he brings righteousness to all of us. Hey, David's whole life just points us to Jesus. That's what David's whole life is about. And some of us today are gonna be singing a song about God's love from the depths of the cave. We've got some choices to make and that's okay. Hold on to that thread. Let's sing this song together.